morning. Um, our text this morning is from Habakkuk 3, um, verses 17 through 19. You can find this on page 787, and the Bible is placed on the chairs in front of you. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, and he makes me tread on my high places. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Erica. Before we jump in, um, quick story. Uh, we're really glad to have Katie Schuler back. And um, uh, Katie's actually the first member of Grace I ever met. And so uh, it was June of 2018, and I had applied to this church in South Carolina. And John Tyler, one of our elders, had given me a call from the search committee and said, uh, we'd love for you to come visit you and your, your wife. And I said, well, we're going to Japan next week. And he said, oh, we just sent a missionary to Japan. And I said, oh, yeah, we're going to Chiba. And so, lo and behold, we were going to serve where Katie was. Um, and one of the first opportunities I had to sit down with Katie was at a dinner at a Korean pastor's house. And he was just feeding us food and food and food. And by the end of the dinner, I was stuffed. Um, and uh, what was happening is he was cutting up half grapefruits. I don't know if you remember this story, Katie. Um, and he, he was approaching me, but I had so much food in my stomach, I lifted up my hand to say, no, thank you. Well, he put the grapefruit in my hand. And like any good missionary, I thought, well, he gave me the food, I'm going to eat it. So I started eating this grapefruit one little portion at a time. I got about three quarters through, and Katie said, do you mind passing that when you're done with it? It was for the whole table. So... Um, <laughs> Anyway, that was my first impression. I still made it here, so that, that is good news. Um, anyway, thank you for indulging me with that. Uh, good to have you home, Katie. We're in Habakkuk 3, and uh, we are continuing our series uh, in the Minor Prophets, um, Cosmic Love, the name of the sermon. After I had uh, 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 Phyllis Printhes, I realized that's also the name of a pop song. They have nothing to do with one another. Anyway, um, cosmic love. And so uh, let's talk about some history. Wh who is Habakkuk? When is he prophesying? It's actually not very clear who he is or when he is doing his ministry. We know that he is aware that God has used, in the past tense, Assyria to punish Israel, this evil nation of Assyria. God used them to do his work, and he is aware at some point in the future that Babylon will be used to punish Assyria, another evil nation being used for God's work. Um, and, and we know that he is probably ministering somewhere between the two, but that's not the point, really. Um, Habakkuk, uh, in fact, I, I think Habakkuk reminds me a little bit of Job. Habakkuk is a prophet who's asking God questions. He's saying, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> not in an accusatory manner. He really wants to understand how God could use an evil nation for his work. And I think that's a great connection point for us uh, in modern times. I think all of us at some point have asked the question, God, uh, what are you doing? Uh, I don't understand how you could be uh, accomplishing what you're trying to accomplish, this thing you're putting me through, or this thing that I see happening in the world. We might even ask God, hey, if you love me, why is life so hard? And so uh, we can connect with Habakkuk and his questions 
in that way. And so God's response to Habakkuk is twofold. First, he teaches Habakkuk something. I'm going to say Habakkuk probably 40 times for the end of this, um, and I, we'll see how that goes. Um, it helps me clear my throat. Um, in Habakkuk 1.5, God gives uh, the prophet, we'll go that way this time, um, a concept. He says, look around you. Look around you at the world. I am doing things you can't even understand. So this is the concept. God is teaching Habakkuk how he operates. He's saying, I understand. I have a plan. I am accomplishing it even though you can't see it. And so what's the concept here? God is telling him, listen, even though the world is broken, even though you're experiencing these things you don't understand, even though it may be a mystery to you, I have not abandoned my plan. I'm bringing about my perfect plan. That's what God's teaching him. And he teaches us that as well. But then later, probably the most famous verse in Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2.4, God gives uh, the prophet a command. And he gives it to us as well. So because God knows what's going on, because he's in control, because he's bringing about his perfect plan, even through a broken world, he tells us to do this. He says, the righteous live by faith. The righteous live by faith. And so what we have in Habakkuk 3, these verses we're looking at, it's actually a psalm. Habakkuk is, has turned into a psalmist, and he is... Uh, realizing and recording exactly what it looks like to live by faith. That's what he is, uh, write, written, has written down for us to look at this morning. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into the text that we have marked for this morning. Father in heaven, thank you so much uh, for your gospel. I pray this morning that uh, you have prepared our hearts, that you're preparing them even now to hear the message you want us to hear Guard my heart, guard my words, uh, guard our ears, help us to learn about you, and may you be glorified through your word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen. So God tells Habakkuk, the righteous live by faith. Let's just talk for a moment about that. The, the, the simplest way you can put that is living a way that trusts God. So even though, let's put ourselves in the context of the prophet. He sees God using an evil nation to do His will. He sees God using another evil nation to do His will with that other evil nation. And God is saying, you have to trust me. You have to trust me. So living by faith is living in a way that trusts God. And, and as I was thinking about this idea, I, I think we have a problem. I know I have a problem. Uh, that problem is functionally, functionally, we don't live that way. We may say we have faith, we may say I trust God, but functionally, what do we do? Here, here's how I describe it. We believe, I think as Western people, we believe that we can orchestrate a series of comfortable events for ourselves. We think that we can control the ins and outs of everyday life and we can actually create these good scenarios. We can make choices and do this or do that and it's going to end well. And, and we think that if we stack enough of these comfortable scenarios on top of one another, that our life will just end up good. That's how we think. That's how I think at times. That's how I act, for sure. Let me ask in a bit of northeastern sarcasm, how's that going for us? How's that going? <laughs> how's that going? That level of control is impossible. Impossible. But yet, what do we do every day? We endeavor to control at that level. 
I love this, this passage because Habakkuk starts in a real, real place. Look at verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Stop there. Habakkuk starts the book asking God, what's going on? How could you do this? I don't understand. And now he's at a place where he sees the brokenness of the world. He sees his reality. He sees the reality. He realizes that bad stuff happens. Bad stuff even happens when we put in a lot of hard work for them not to happen. We have to imagine here that the fig tree is not blossoming because the farmers dropped the ball. No, I'm sure the farmer has done everything he has he knows to do and wants to do and, and believes he should do to make a great crop of whatever it is. But what happens? Sometimes the fig tree doesn't blossom. It just doesn't. And so what Habakkuk is doing is he's proclaiming we don't really have control over anything. <laughs> we don't control it even a little bit. And what that comes down to, church, for myself, and as I was analyzing my own heart, I think what comes down to all of us is we have bad expectations. I, the, 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 the series this summer is called Great Expectations. I kind of wish I had named the whole thing Bad Expectations. Uh, we've come back to that theme several times. But listen, uh, we have this idea that we, we expect tomorrow to be better than today. We expect it. We expect that if I give an investment or I do this work, it's going to turn out okay. But the world doesn't function that way. The world doesn't function that way. So let's, I mean, we're going to take a little bit of a side, uh, a little path, uh, what is it, rabbit trail, bird path? I don't know, whatever, rabbit trail, yeah. Okay, why is it that way? Why isn't life that way? Why can't I think of the words I need when I need them? Sin broke everything. That's why. Let's go all the way back to Genesis. What an important story. Adam and Eve... Our, our first parents, our ancestors, had one job. Well, they had several jobs. They had one big job, and that one big job was to obey God. And he'd given them one command. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So they had work to do, and, and they had jobs, and they had, they had a mission for their life. But God said, listen, we have perfect communion. I walk with you in the cool of the evening. We enjoy one another. And all you have to do to sustain this is not eat from that tree. In Genesis 3, we see Eve having this long conversation with the deceiver, with the serpent, with Satan. And at the end of that long conversation, she makes a choice. She decides, I am the center of the universe. I will go my own way. God's commands aren't as important as my desires. And so she eats the fruit. And I actually think this is very comical. You have this long conversation where Eve goes through all the thinking. We watch her thought process, and she finally makes a decision. Look at Adam. How, how much it takes for him to be deceived. And so he's there, and it says, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. <laughs> not, not very, I mean, she basically was like, oh, did you hear it? And he just grabbed it and said, oh, it's delicious. I love it, right? Didn't, it didn't take long at all. But the, the point is this. The effect of that sin, just a few verses later, listen to what happens. Here's God delivering his verdict. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, 
and to dust you shall return. Do you hear the hardship? Do you hear they had this great thing where they cultivated the land easily and, and, and God was with them and God was for them and then after sin, do you feel the change? It's hard. Thorns and thistles and sweat and pain. And so Adam and Eve, because they picked instant gratification over eternal promises, what happened? Every single human being from that point forward deals with, does deal with, feels the effects of sin. That's why life is not easy. That's why life is hard. And so what are some good, if we have bad expectations, what are some good realistic expectations? What should we expect from life? Suffering. <laughs> Suffering. Until Jesus Christ returns, what is the common human experience? Suffering. Hardship. Difficulty. Not to be a Debbie Downer, and I was at something this week, and the lady said that, and then she apologized to all the Debbies. So I think it's a good idea. I apologize to all the Debbies. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, right? I don't get kicks out of telling us, even myself, that, hey, on the horizon for everybody is something sad or hard. That's the truth. In fact, I say that knowing that as the pastor of this congregation, there's a good chance I'll walk with you through that. And that's my privilege. But the reality is this. We have hardship in our lives. It's either happened, it will happen again, or it's happening now. That's the, the better realistic expectation for our lives. Not that we work hard enough or do the right things and we get the right result that we want. No, life is unpredictable and it is broken and it is hard. So what should our response be? We could, and most of us try to do this, we grip tighter. Got to control more. But what's the reality there? We're just going to be more frustrated, more angry. We're going to realize, man, I just really can't control. Maybe for a bit it seems like we're controlling, but no, it's all going to fall apart sooner or later. Because sometimes the fig leaves don't blossom. God's answer is a different answer. Live by faith. Live by faith. And that's where we get into verses 18 and 19. This, this is a description, Habakkuk's personal description of what it means to him, what he's realizing from the truth of God, what it looks like to live by faith. So let's start with the beginning of verse 18. Yet, so even though the fig tree hasn't blossomed, even though the herd stalls are empty, I will rejoice in the Lord. Stop there. As we live by faith, as the righteous live by faith, they rejoice in the Lord. So, when things don't go as we expect, when the cancer comes back, when our, when our children rebel, when um, our bodies, <laughs> as we get older, we realize, man, I can't do the things I used to do. When, when, when the bubble bursts, right? When, when, the, when the stock market crashes, if you think about the thing that you think might be painful, what is the answer? What does the righteous person who lives by faith do? They rejoice Ransom, why? Why would you rejoice? And here's the answer. The outcome, the outcome is already established. Look at the next part of verse 18. Where does Habakkuk take joy from? I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Our future, church, our future in Christ is secure. It's already done. We don't have to strive to get a certain outcome for our lives. Why? Because God has already designed it. <laughs> and we know what it is. And it's beautiful. I had a professor in, in seminary that used to say the best thing that ever happened to us was Genesis 3. Meaning, 
Adam and Eve disobeyed God. You might think, why? Our lives are broken and hard because of it. And here's why. Because we had Adam, a human being, as our Savior at that point. And then after he sinned, we got something better. We had to have Jesus Christ to save us. We had to have Jesus Christ to save us. So did the effect of sin have these far-reaching effects? You better believe it. We feel it every day. We feel it right now. We're going to feel it this afternoon. Sure, sin had cosmic effects, but so did the atonement of Jesus Christ. John Frame, a Reformed scholar, says this from his systematic theology, the good news is that Jesus' atonement has cosmic dimensions. In time, it will counteract all the effects of the fall as well as sin itself. Therefore, God is now working in all things to bring good. Good for those who have been effectually called into fellowship with Christ. I don't know about you, but as I think about this idea that we should rejoice in God, even in the hard times, my brain was immediately drawn to Romans 8, a verse that, that has been quoted to us. Maybe we've quoted it to others who've gone through hard times. Here it is. And I'm convinced that Paul had his scroll of Habakkuk open while he's writing Romans. But listen to this. And we know, he says from Romans 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to a purpose. How many of you have ever heard someone either say that to someone else or to you in a hard time? It's, it's, it's very common. But here's where we mess up. We don't follow through on the next verse, Okay. How do we know? It's not because we should trust and feel good about the bad thing that's happening. It's not that we should just brush it off. Oh, God's just working out his purposes. What is the reason we know that God is working? And here it is. Just the next verse. How does Paul know? How do we know? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, He also called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Church, comfort, rejoicing in the hard times does not come by some kind of mental gymnastics and seeing the good and the bad. No, it comes because of the outcome that God has designed for his people. Our hope is that we are saved by God, the God of our salvation. And so we can learn from Habakkuk. We can hopefully learn in our lives. As we live trusting God, we can rejoice in hardship and difficulty. Why? Because God does not abandon his purposes. God's not caught off guard. God's not lost. He knows what is happening. And and so what is his purpose? I'm going to continue this quote from John Frame. It's, It's great. I couldn't say it better myself. The conclusion is that every event is part of God's great plan to bring the richest blessing to his people. Do you hear that? Not just a blessing, the richest blessing. We do not often see how the sufferings of this world will enhance the joy to come, but we trust that God is bringing about just that result since he works in and therefore controls all things. Our hope is not in our control of our circumstances. Our hope is in God's control of our circumstances. That's where it's at. And the good news is he doesn't keep it a mystery. He tells us how it will end with the richest blessings. Okay, Ransom, I can see why we should rejoice, but how? How do we endure? How do we keep going? Habakkuk has an answer for that as well. The first part of verse 19, God the Lord is my strength. 
what the prophet is realizing is, and what he is celebrating and what he is singing about. And if you actually look at the text in your Bible, you'll see that there's a little note that says, to the choir master. So this is a song that is meant to be sung. It's a psalm. What, what, what Habakkuk is singing about is that his strength is not inside himself. His strength is in the Lord. And so what he's saying is that God personally and powerfully sustains and carries him through even the mysteries of why things are happening the way they're happening. And the same for us. God enables us to keep moving. God enables us to keep advancing even when we encounter the worst things we can imagine. So although our life is riddled with trouble, we can trust that God is working towards His perfect end, which is also our perfect end, and that gives us joy. So listen, we can't control any of these things. We can't control the beginning of our lives, the middle of our lives, or the end. That's, I think, all of our lives. We have no control over those things. Nothing. But where does comfort come from? That, that God holds not only the beginning and not only the end and not only the middle, but also eternity. He holds the, our eternity in His hands. He guards it. I'm a doer, and so as I was writing the sermon and writing these notes, I came to the question, well, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do with this? Um... I've got bad news for myself, and so those, those of you that are also doers, listen, there is no three-step plan to more strength. We don't have that. There's no, like, formula for more joy. Maybe some of you are expecting me to say, hey, read your Bible and pray, but, but here's a question. If, if we're supposed to read our Bible and pray in order to get strength and joy, my question then is, well, how many pages or words should we read? And once we cross that threshold, how do we know? What happens if we fall one word short? Or if it's prayer, how often, how long, what words, public, private, we have to, well, tell me. All those questions, all those questions, this is, a, this is an indictment on me. All of those questions come from our desire to what? Control. <laughs> if I could just read my Bible enough, if I could just pray enough, if I could just do this series of behaviors, if I could just figure out the formula to get strength and joy that's us trying to control. Just trying to control. So on the one hand, the, the answer to the question that we get from Habakkuk, on the one hand, is, is much simpler than that. Praise the Lord. But, but on another way, it's actually quite a bit more complex. So, so here it is. The righteous living by faith is, is believing that God loves you loves you with this cosmic love, this cosmic love that undoes sin and eternity. That's the first thing. You have to believe that that's true. And then the thing that we're asked to do is just let Him love you. Let Him love you. Look at this. Verse 19. He makes my feet like the deer's. Isn't that funny to hear the word deer's? I'm automatically like, that's not the right word. But it is. It's, a, it's a, a possessive. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. He makes me. He makes me. Church, the essence of the gospel is this. God does the doing. Do you hear that? The very essence of the gospel is God does the doing. If that's not true, then Christianity is no different than any other world religion which says, hey, you want enlightenment? Hey, you want salvation? Here's the, here's the formula. Here's the three-step program. 
Christianity says, no, God did it for you. Do you hear this in Romans 8? He predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. He called us. He justified us. He glorified us. All past tense. It's what He has done. And how did He do it? Through the life, the cross, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. It's done. It's done. Paul is so confirmed in this truth. This is how he finishes up chapter 8 of Romans. As he's reading Habakkuk, you can imagine it, and he's seeing what it means to live by faith, and he's thinking about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's his conclusion. For I am sure, sure, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to what? Separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. By God doing what He did for us, we are inseparable from His love. And so what must we do? Accept that. It's a promise. When we say, I believe in Christ, His love is spring-loaded to to drown us in it. And so church, it's as simple as believing, basking, receiving, and it's as complex as surrendering control. You want to talk about lack of control, here it is. Why are we loved? Why are we loved by God? Because He loves us. (laughs) That's it. There's nothing in between there. We're loved because He loves us. And so because we can't do anything to start His love, we can't do anything to what? Praise the Lord, end His love for us. It's secure. (coughs) Excuse me. Faith in this kind of cosmic, unconditional is the only thing that destroys the false idea of the control we think we have. It's the only thing. It's the only thing. Knowing and believing and learning and and meditating on how much God loves us no matter what is the only thing that is going to give us the courage, the power, the strength, the joy to let go. This kind of love is what can give us the ability to rejoice an unexpected difficulty because it's coming. This kind of love is the only thing that can give us strength in hard times. It's the only way that we can take joy. I love that phrase in hardship. And, and listen to this. This is the only kind of love that can give us eternal life. A love that comes from God, is secured by God, is given freely by God. That's it. It's cosmic, unconditional love. So this morning we turn our attention to the Lord's table because the Lord's table is the perfect reminder of just what was done for us that we might be loved, that we might be with God. You see, in love, not out of obligation, but because they planned it before time, because they predestined it, because they called us and justified us and glorified us, because that was their desire to be with us, Jesus Christ came all the way to us, not just halfway, 
hey, I'm reaching out. Come on, go the rest of the way. No, he came all the way to earth. He lived a perfect life we were supposed to live. He died for our sins. These are all things we were supposed to do and we couldn't. And Jesus Christ did it all. And so we have the bread, the broken bread, reminding us of his broken body, which should have been ours. We have the, the wine or the juice, which is his shed blood that should have been ours, but instead it was his. It was his. And he simply says, by believing that that was yours and, and, and now this is mine and I've taken it on me and, and by believing that I did that, you are called worthy. You're invited to a spot at the table with God himself. He did the doing. That's what we celebrate this morning, that, that we don't have to do anything other than say, God, I, I can't. Would you have me? And he says, yes. In Jesus Christ, yes. So this morning, if you believe that to be true, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been baptized, you've made that public profession, you've confessed your sins, Jesus Christ does not in any way, in any reservation, hold you back. He says, come to me. You're counted worthy, not because of something you did, because of everything he did. Which also means this morning, if you don't believe these things, if there's a sin you refuse to confess, it, it, this doesn't make any sense for you to come and eat the bread or drink the juice or the wine. It just doesn't make sense. And the Bible also says, they, they cautions you. If you don't believe this, if you're coming in what they call an unworthy manner, which means you're not depending fully upon Christ and his salvation, it says don't come. So we're going to take just a moment this morning. We're going to evaluate where we're at. And then I'll draw us back together with a prayer of blessing and we'll uh, begin to distribute the elements. So let's just take a moment to be quiet in our hearts. Father, I come to you, one who this morning needs to be reminded I am loved, I've been called, I've been predestined, I've been justified, I've been glorified, not because of who I am or how clean I've kept my record or, or because I'm a pastor, or because I went to seminary, none of those things count towards my salvation. All that counts is the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his overcoming victorious resurrection, defeating sin, death, and the devil for eternity. Praise your name. I pray this morning that, that we as a congregation would be nourished by this bread and by this juice or wine. I pray this morning that we would remember just how much we are loved I pray that we would remember that you have done the doing. And we eat freely, as David prayed, without money, without cost. We feast and we are nourished by the very God who created us. I pray that blessing over this time. I pray that you be with us as we participate in this sacrament. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.